You're listening to The Real Investment Show. How to trade this off-the-charts bull market? That was the question I got by email yesterday. And uh, really kind of got me to thinking because, you know, I get this, I get this question a lot. And, and again, I get it from the media. I was, doing, uh, I was doing an interview yesterday on the Charles Payne Show on Fox Business News. And uh, before we got on the air, we were kind of talking a little bit, you know, kind of offset. And, you know, one of the things that is often forgotten in a kind of a rising bull market is that there is risk and reward opportunity that comes along the way. And, you know, the problem now is, is that we've gotten such a long way with this current market, right? This market's been in just a very exuberant advance. And in fact, if we take a look at valuations yesterday as a, as a good example, uh, we discussed kind of the Fed issuing a warning about asset valuations. And really, no matter how you look at valuations, um, they, you know, whether it's 40 times price to trailing earnings, the CAPE ratio, or two and a half times market cap to GDP, or three times price to sell, valuations are very, very elevated. And of course, that's the value that we're paying for future earnings today. So what does that tell us? And as we've talked about before on the show, what valuations tell you, they tell you two things. Now, they're horrible market timing devices. You should never use valuations to help manage risk in your portfolio because they're too slow to, to really do anything. All valuations tell you are two things. The first thing they tell you is, is that when you have very, very high valuations, that means that you've got a lot of very bullish psychology because this is people willing to pay an exuberant amount of money for future earnings. That's what they're doing. They're overpaying for future earnings because what they believe is, is that those earnings will catch up with price eventually. And they'll somehow get to fair value. Uh, to try to put this into an, a kind of a easy and uh, kind of a easy metaphor here, you know, think about, and, and we've talked about this before, think about you know, going into a neighborhood, every house in the neighborhood is $250,000. You pay $500,000 for the house because you really, really want it. And what you're thinking is, is that all the other houses will become $500,000 houses and your house won't be overvalued anymore. Typically, that doesn't work out well, but that's the thought that is going on in the markets right now. Now, the other problem with valuations, they tell you a lot about psychology, but they also tell you everything you need to know about forward returns. So let's use our house analogy here one more time. I go into a neighborhood, I pay $500,000 for a house that every other house in the neighborhood is $250,000 and I'm right. And in 10 years, every other house in the neighborhood is now worth $500,000. My house is still worth $500,000. The house, the, the neighborhood caught up with me. My return over 10 years is zero. That's exactly what future values and, for, and, and valuations tell you. And that's why we pay attention to these things because it tells us where we are. And right now, if you take a look at a lot of these valuation measures, and, and again, even the Federal Reserve now talking about the risk to asset valuations, we're trading at an exuberant level, right? And if we take a look at, you know, this, uh, at, at the market currently um, on a long-term historical chart, and, and I have some in, in the article today on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. So, I know you're driving to work right now, as you should be. So when you get home or get to work, pull up the article, and there's some good charts there that talk about this kind of off-the-chart bull market that we have. It's, it's, it's risen so sharply just since the March 2020 downturn 
that we've now exceeded levels that we've never seen before pretty much in the last hundred years of history. So it's a very exuberant market. So how do you trade that? That's the great question. Well, the problem with investing is that we need to participate with markets. Look, I can make the case, and, and I get this question a lot. Well, Lance, you said the market's overvalued. Returns over the next year are going to be close to zero or negative. I'm just going to go be in cash. Well, that's the problem with being in cash is that you miss out on market returns. And that can be just as bad as participating in a down market, right? We have to make money when opportunity presents itself. Now, if you're watching our live stream right now, I've got a chart behind us and I'm going to kind of just show you a couple of things here that we're going to talk. Well, I'll explain it. So if you're driving your car, don't worry, you're going to get it all. Uh, but if you're out to watch the live stream, you can watch it. Of course, you can always pick up our, our videos on our YouTube channel as well. Uh, simply go to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, and you can pick up on this kind of instructional video later. But look, there's a lot of people make technical analysis very complicated. And they make it, you know, there's all these measures. You can make millions of combinations of different indicators. My advice is to keep it very simple. If you're going to try to, to participate in the market, you need some indicators to tell you just when short-term price movements have gotten too extended, when they've gotten oversold, so that you can mitigate and manage risk in your portfolio because that's the key to surviving a long-term game. And, and participating in a bull market and potentially avoiding a much more serious correction or, or, or bear market at some point down the road. Um, it's kind of like sailing a ship. You know, I'm out in the middle of the ocean. I'm, I'm sailing my ship. I've got to make small adjustments all the time to make sure I reach my destination on time and I kind of avoid the rocks and, and the other things that may come along that could sink the ship, right? That's the whole idea of technical analysis, which is simply just to navigate to the, the market and, and my portfolio so that we can manage our risk and get to our destination safely and, and intact. So there's only a couple of things that you need. You don't have to make this complicated. And I, and I lay these out in the article and explain them. And I've got links to other articles that I've written about these indicators as well and how to use them. But simply use a couple moving averages. A 50-day and a 200-day moving average is just fine. What do moving averages tell you? Well, they tell you where prices have been over the previous 50 and 200 days, right? That's all it tells you. And moving averages are like gravity. Ultimately, when prices get too far deviated above those moving averages or below, they tend to revert back to those moving averages at some point in time. And a good example of that is this year in particular, every options expiration week, which is this week, by the way, um, we've seen the market correct back to the 50-day moving average or, or close to it. So it's been like gravity all year. Just the markets correct back to the 50-day, then we get the next run higher. And as we get too far away from that, well, we can measure that by looking at by using a simple Bollinger Band. And that's a simple technical indicator telling you about standard deviation. How far all that's telling you is how far is the rubber band stretched from the 50-day moving average. And we're currently at the top of that band. So now we're at the top of the band. We're very deviated from the 50-day moving average. And that suggests that at some point we're likely to see a correction back to the 50-day moving average. So does that mean sell everything and go to cash? No. All that means is, is that when we're this stretched above the 50-day moving average, we want to reduce some risk temporarily. Take some profits, doesn't mean sell everything, right? So if I have a position that's three or 4% of my portfolio and it's supposed to be two, 
trim it back to two, right? Just manage the, the asset allocation sizing in the portfolio. That's all that's saying. When the markets return back to the bottom of that Bollinger Band, like it did back in September, when we started recommending adding exposure to the portfolio back then, well, that was a good time to start adding money back to your portfolio. And we've talked about this before is that, you know, you can't buy low if you don't ultimately sell high. Yes, you can just kind of ride the market and let it go up and down, kind of let the ebb and flow of the market wash over you. And as long as the market remains in a very good, solid, bullish trend, that's fine. The problem with not managing risk, though, is when that ebb or that flow becomes a bigger ebb and you wind up having a much bigger correction, then you haven't taken any action. And now you're starting to try to take panic action to try to mitigate the risk in your portfolio all at once. Typically, that occurs at exactly the wrong time. Normally, by the time that you lose five, six, seven, eight percent of your portfolio, you're going, oh my gosh, I got to do something. That typically tends to turn out to be the bottom of a correction, at least in the short term. And you wind up selling low and buying high and doing exactly the opposite of what you would do, what you would normally do. So again, looking at where we are currently, you know, we can we can look at where we are relative to the moving averages, how far we're deviated away from it. Also taking a look at something like a relative strength index or Williams percent R index as an example can also tell you how overbought you are. So again, this idea that we can stretch a rubber band in one direction, that's all those indicators are telling you. They're not complicated. They're just measures of price. And what technical analysis is, is simply just the study of prices. And what are prices? Prices represent the psychology of the overall market. Right now, everybody is very bullish on this market, right? So everybody's in. We're all chasing stocks. We're all buying stuff. Options are at all-time all, all highs here in the number of retail investors chasing stocks through options. That's, that's all these indicators tell you. They just simply tell you that the overall market activity is very, very bullish right now. And maybe, you know, from a, a bit of a contrarian standpoint, when everybody's very bullish, maybe that's just about the time that you might, again, want to take a little bit of profit. When the markets revert, and again, we go back to, to, to June, uh, July and August, when we talked about reducing risk then, we avoided that downturn that we had in September. And at the bottom of September, everything got very oversold. And we started talking about adding money back to the portfolio. So again, when everybody else was getting very negative on the market and you started seeing markets in turmoil every day on CNBC, well, that was the time to actually start putting some money back to work. And this, you know, this is the challenging part about managing money is kind of setting aside the emotional structure of markets and how we behave behaviorally towards markets. You know, we get fear and greed, fear and greed and doing the exact opposite of what you think you should be doing when everybody else is very fearful in the markets and you see markets in turmoil up on the screen every day on CNBC, it's probably a good time to start digging through kind of the rubble and finding what kind of good opportunities exist and look for those stocks that you've been wanting to get into that you you've, you've have seen go up and have, do, have been doing well and they've had a correction. That's a good entry point, you know, so Again, you know, valuations matter in the long term. And look, everything's overvalued right now. But that's just the way it is at the moment. So for right now, we have to continue to manage our portfolio and looking for opportunities where we have. And momentum is what's working right now. So momentum stocks outperforming value stocks by a large stretch. And that's just kind of the markets that we're in. We have to understand that dynamic 
and, and trade it while we have the opportunity to do it. But be aware of the risk. Ultimately, someday, this market is going to revert and we're going to have a bigger correction in the markets. And you know, from a long-term perspective, there's real risk here. When we come back from the, from the break, we'll talk about valuations and what that means long-term. Be right back. So how do you trade this off the charts bull market? That's the real question here. Kind of what we're talking a little bit about today, of course. And look, you know, this is, uh, you know, very interesting where we are right now, because, you know, as we look at, you know, valuations and a lot of things, as we discussed in the last segment, there's certainly a lot of things that are worrisome about where we are in the current market. And, you know, as investors, our goal is to try to, to manage our risk ultimately and, and participate in the markets while they're rising. But try to avoid those big downturns. And you know, one of the problems with you know, talking about these things even now and, and writing about them in the past is, is you know, when you talk about valuations in particular, it's a good example. If valuations, as an example, if I write an article that says, valuations are very elevated, you should be careful. If the market doesn't immediately correct and you have a big, you know, a big decline in the markets, then people go, well, you know, he was obviously wrong about that. That's not what valuations say. All valuations tell you is that, that you're going to have you know, trouble down the road, right? Valuations are a measure of that psychology, and ultimately those things do change over time. And this is an important thing to think about. But you know, when we're talking about this off-the-charts bull market, this is kind of an interesting position because you know, when you take a look at a long-term picture, of the markets and in i have a chart in our article today going back to 1900 but if you're watching our live stream right now i've got a chart going back to 2000. this advance that we've had in the markets really since the lows of march of 2020 has been an accelerated advance due to a massive surge in global liquidity we've had you know almost a trillion dollars worth of buybacks this year corporations are investing billions into buying back their own shares and what what why do they do that of course is to make sure that their stock prices are elevated. In fact, as we've talked about before, currently the market's trading right around 4,700. Had it not been for buybacks, the market would be trading not at 4,700. 40% of the market return has come from stock buybacks. Stocks would be trading closer to 2,800, right? So substantially lower than where we are and back to where we would be at levels in 2015, 2016, you know, which is only slightly above, you know, really the market's peak in 2008. And, and that return over that period of time without corporate share buybacks would be about 3% annualized. And that would, that would equate with what valuations are currently telling you. So again, buybacks have had a huge impact upon what's happening with the markets, but liquidity is liquidity, right? We've got the Federal Reserve with quantitative easing. You've got corporate stock buybacks. We've had almost a trillion dollars worth of global liquidity flow into equities over the course of the last year been an unprecedented surge of money coming into financial markets. And you almost have to scratch your head and say, where's it all coming from? Well, it's all coming from debt issuance. Um, not just governments, not just central banks. Corporations have been borrowing money to do stock buybacks and to do dividend payments because interest rates are low. And I want you to think about that very carefully. What happens when interest rates start to go up? It's no longer cheap and advantageous to borrow money to do stock buybacks. So that's a real problem for the markets coming forward. But again, if we take a look, and as we were talking about a moment ago in the last segment, 
you know, moving averages tell you they're like gravity and they say, okay, what happens over the last period of time and ultimately what will prices do? And if we look back over time and, and, and take a look at the price of the market relative to long-term moving averages, we see that the market does correct back to these moving averages over and over and over again over time. And again, it's like gravity. The further I get away from that gravitational pull, um, you know, eventually, it comes back down to earth. Just and, and this has been something that's played out time and time and time again throughout history. And we forget these things. As we get to the midst of these bull markets, we forget that gravity is there. And ultimately, gravity will pull prices back down to earth. And this is something, it's the laws of physics, right? It's just you, you can't get around it, you can't, you know, you can't stop it, you can't change it. We can momentarily we can escape it. But eventually, it all comes back to earth. And, and currently, right now, the deviation between the price of the market and long-term moving averages is the greatest on record, period, stop, end of story, ever, the end. In other words, we're currently trading in the stratosphere of, of the earth, and, and gravity will eventually take over. And the problem when gravity takes over is you're going to have a very big decline back to down to whatever level of support that the markets ultimately get to. Previously, it's been the four-year moving average. Will that be the case this time? Who knows? If it is, we're going to talk about trading back to about 3,200 on the S&P. That's about a 30% decline. Now, again, see, that sounds super bearish, right? Oh, my gosh, Lance just said the market's going to correct by 30%. We need to get out of the markets now until the world's... No, that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is, is that that's the risk we need to be careful of. Right now, markets are rising. There's nothing wrong with the markets right now. There's lots of bullish sentiment. Markets are a little bit stretched in the short term. And there's not a catalyst at this point to trigger a much larger reversion in the markets. Now, what happened... But previously, when we've had these reversions back to long-term moving averages, well, of course, we had the pandemic economic shutdown in 2020. That's what caused the first contraction uh, going back in time. Um, if we go back to 2018, when the Fed was hiking interest rates and said, hey, we're nowhere near the neutral rate. The market sold off 20% right back down to the four-year moving average. Previous to that, we were back in 2015, 2016. We were talking about Brexit. Remember the whole big Brexit debate and, and the world's about to, you know, about to end because the, the, uh, Britain's about to exit the Eurozone. This is going to be terrible for the global economy. Markets corrected back to the four-year moving averages. Um, you know, we go back into 2010, 2011, couple of corrections there, back to the long-term moving average. Why? Because QE ended. But in QE1, and when QE1 ended in June of 2010, markets corrected back to the moving averages. Then we did QE2, and when it ended, we corrected back to the moving average. So again, going back, and of course, previously to that, last time we were that deviated above the long-term moving average, and corrected was in 2007, 2008. Of course, that was a financial crisis. And then you actually reverted beyond the long-term moving average for the first time in quite a while. And that was where we had the financial crisis kind of blow out of the markets. And we started this kind of monetary insanity that began ever since then and has now culminated to where we are now. The point is, is this, is that as this market has advanced, the one important thing here is 
is that the volume that is now traded, in other words, where investors were buying a lot of stocks, which is around 1,500, 1,600 on the S&P, which would be considered fairly valued. There was a lot of people buying equity at that point. Volume has declined sharply ever since. And in fact, currently volume at these levels where we are today is almost non-existent. Yeah, despite record inflows of capital, the actual volume of transactions occurring at current levels is extremely low. We've talked about the lack of volume before. There's not a lot of commitment to the markets. And we talk about liquidity, right? So liquidity is the ability to buy or sell something if you want to get out of it. Think about something like a piece of real estate. Real estate is a great investment, but it's not real liquid. You've got to find a specific buyer willing to pay a specific price to sell it. It's not extremely liquid. So when I find that buyer, I can make a transaction. The problem is with lack of liquidity in a big market like the stock market is when everybody wants to exit, there are no buyers. The buyers don't want to pay these prices. The buyers are much lower. And we saw this happen in March of 2020. And this is the big risk that you need to be paying attention to. Because in March of 2020, when the market began to break down, buyers were not there. And this is why you saw the markets go down 1,000 points in a day, 2,000 points in a day, 3,000 points a day, because there was no buyers. The buyers weren't willing to pay the prices that sellers were willing to sell at sellers had to come down sharply to find a buyer. And that's why going forward, we're likely to see these much sharper declines in markets. And this is the one thing where risk management is gonna really prove itself out over the course of the next decade, is that these bear markets, when they occur because of this lack of volume that we currently have in the markets, the gaps to the downside when something breaks will be very sharp and fast. So if you haven't taken risk management into account and have started to adjust the risk in your portfolio when markets are extremely elevated, being a little bit defensive at times. When the market does break, it'll move so quickly that you won't have an opportunity to really do anything about it. And this is what we saw back in March of 2020 is a good example. That decline, you had a 30% decline in the markets in three weeks. It was so fast that investors were simply caught off guard and they couldn't really make any changes or anything about it. Now, fortunately, we had a tremendous amount of liquidity hit the markets and the markets recovered very quickly. So it bailed out investors at that point. But there's no guarantee that that will happen again in the future. Yes, markets will always come back eventually down the road. The question, of course, is how fast will they get back to even? And of course, most importantly, how much time do you have to get back to even as well? Because the, the big problem for investors and the one thing that we always forget is, is that yes, over the long term, markets do always go up. And yes, that's true. That will always happen. Markets will rise because of inflation over time. But the question is, is how much time do you have to get back to even? And this is why we focus in our shop in particular on risk management. We talk a lot about this. We talk a lot about managing risk taking short-term actions to help remove risk from portfolios, adding risk back at times when markets get oversold, because we have to navigate the market for what it is, and we have to participate in the markets for what's going on right now. But we also wanna be aware that down the road, these big issues, these big deviations from long-term moving average, the excess valuations, et cetera, there will be payback. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Be right back after the break. Don't go away.
So yesterday, of course, uh, here on the show, we were talking a little about about Elon Musk for president. And yesterday, when I did the interview on Fox Business, uh, they asked me about that and why you know that this idea of Elon Musk for president was interesting. And, and again, we we kind of talked a little bit about the issue that you know what investors think they want and what people think they want may not be what they really want. And this is kind of the real key issue that you know Elon Musk brought out yesterday and we were talking about this yesterday on the show is this idea of a capital gains tax, right? We need to tax the wealthy. And again, as I've talked about on the show before, you know, taxing the wealthy sounds great, but you have to understand that their money is very fungible and they can move their money anywhere they want. Or they can sell. So again, as we talked about a minute ago, you know, one of the things driving this market and driving a lot of the speculation in the market has been record stock buybacks, which have accounted for about 40% of the advance. Stock buybacks have made you know executives exceedingly wealthy, right? Um, and, and of course, the exuberance in the markets. And, and again, when you take a look at record options volume, so when people buy options on stocks that requires the underlying stocks to get bought. So it pushes up the prices of stocks because somebody has to issue out those contracts. There's always two parties to every side. And of course, as the speculation kind of runs rampant in the market, this is accelerating the price of stocks and guys like Elon Musk that own a lot of company stock in a company. And look, it's not just Elon Musk, it's, it's Jeff Bezos, it's Bill Gates, you know, it's Tim Cook. These guys make a lot of money with rising stock prices. And, and that's the whole purpose of stock buybacks is to make sure that prices of stocks remain elevated because the insiders who are granted stock, and this is the key issue here, they're gifted stock. They're granted stock as part of their compensation package. As long as prices stay up, then they can convert that stock into cash at some point down the road at a much higher price. If the stock price falls dramatically, their options either expire worthless or their, grant, or their granted stock goes down in price, right? That certainly doesn't help their net worth any. Um, as we talked about, though, you know, for a lot of these companies and a lot of these corporate executives, they can't go out and just sell their stock because if they do, what will happen is exactly what you're seeing going on with Tesla stock right now, which is, you know, ever since Elon Musk started talking about selling stock, the stock price has gone down, you know, 10, 11, 12%, whatever it's been. Now, can you imagine, and this is what we talked a little bit about yesterday, can you imagine what would happen if Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden and the kind of the Democrats get their wish and they want to impose a capital gains tax on unrealized capital gains? because they want to go extract capital from all of these wealthy billionaires that have a lot of corporate stock. Okay, that's fine. You know, what's 20% of $180 billion? That's about the rough value of Elon Musk's holdings. So if you wanted to charge him with tax on $180 billion, 20% of that, that you want today, he's got to go out and sell that stock in order to pay that tax. Now, can you imagine magnifying that across the entirety of the S&P 500? You want to talk about an event that causes a drop in the financial markets? That would be it. Because now all these corporate executives are going to have to sell stock in order to pay their taxes. 
Now, you know, this is one, and this is always one of the interesting things about, you know, individuals when they get behind these causes, they don't really think about the unintended consequences of their actions. Yes, we need to go get these ultra wealthy people. They need to pay their fair share. Okay, they'll pay their fair share. Market's going to drop, you know, 20, 30% in value. All of a sudden, that extra money you had in the markets, that's gone. How do you feel about that tax rate now? They've still got their money. Yeah, you know, they sold their shares to pay their taxes. They've still got their money. You lost yours. That's okay. But again, we always have to think about these unintended consequences of our actions. And a lot of these kind of socialist ideas that are being floated around, as, as we've talked about before, look, giving people money is fine. Nothing wrong with it. Except for the fact that it's issued out of debt. You're going to have slower economic growth. That's going to lead to lower wages down the road. Yes, you're having a little spike in low-end wages right now because of labor shortages, but that'll resolve itself. And then wages will decline again as we get into a slower economic environment. And particularly if inflation pops up here too much and wages rise much more, you're going to start to have companies laying off employees because they've got to protect their profit margins. So these, these you know, ideas for more socialist you know, outcomes where we give people money for health care and for people money for, you know, uh, child care and all these type of things. It sounds great, except it leads to inflation. All these things will drive up the cost. And of course, we're using debt to fund these, which drives down long-term economic growth. So now you've got higher costs for people trying to live on one end, but you've got slower economic growth on the other. And that doesn't work out well for the, for the, for the middle. And that's why socialist countries are never prosperous. And that's why what we're trying to do with these policies is drive the entire economic equality down to the lowest common denominator. How do you make things equal? Everybody's got to be equal, but everybody will be equal at the lowest common denominator. You can't raise the bottom, but you can bring the top down to the bottom. That's just the way it works. Because whether it's in education, and of course, you know, we go through a lot of this educational reform, that we need to make everybody more compatible and equal in education, right? We don't, you know, we should get rid of AP classes that, you know, that, that are dominated by Asian kids and white kids, right? We don't, you know, the really smart kids, you know, we shouldn't have AP classes for them. Everybody needs to be equal. That's fine. We're going to have to dumb down everything to the lowest common denominator. That's just the way it works. The outcomes of that, it may sound great in the short term because now everybody's equal. The outcome long term is not good. Again, the things we should be striving for are not equality, but equality of opportunity, right? Everybody should have an equal opportunity to excel. Let's give everybody the tools and the opportunity to achieve those goals. And if they choose to participate, if they choose to excel, that's on them. And they have that opportunity to, to succeed. And that is what makes capitalism work and what creates wealth in an economy. Those are the things we have to remember. But a lot of these ideas, taxes and other things to fund spending that really has a negative multiplier impact on the economy do not have good long-term outcomes. You know, we always forget about one thing in all of these discussions, personal responsibility. We all want free things, but we don't want the personal responsibility that it goes along with us obtaining those things. And 
you know, when it comes to healthcare is a good example. A lot of people complain about our healthcare system. Hey, I get it, right? A lot of people are sick. Healthcare costs is high. Why is healthcare cost high? It's not government. Healthcare cost is high is because every time you get a sniffle, you want to run down to the doctor, get a prescription, and pay 25 bucks or $20 or whatever your copay is. Somebody's got to pick up that tab for all the other stuff that goes on. If you want lower healthcare costs, you've got to start taking personal responsibility for your health. Obesity is one of the number one killers in this country right now because we don't take care of ourselves. Heart disease, diabetes, all these other killers of, of, of people in this country are all directly driven by poor diets, lack of exercise, and lack of health, right? But we don't take personal responsibility for our health care. If we were required, like auto insurance, to take care of our maintenance and insurance would cover the more catastrophic outcomes, just like liability insurance does. All of a sudden, healthcare costs would drop remarkably. So why is, why is liability insurance for your car so cheap? Why do you see these commercials every day with somebody offering the lowest possible cost on car insurance because you're responsible for the maintenance of the car? The insurance is only there when you wreck your car. Same thing for healthcare. If you want lower cost healthcare, better quality healthcare, Start taking care of some of the responsibility yourself. Why do you think plastic surgery is some of the highest quality healthcare in the country and has some, some of the most reasonable competitive costs? Because it's, it's elective surgery. Those costs come down over time, quality continues to go up because those doctors are all competing for the business. Bring competition back to healthcare and guess what you're gonna get? You'll get better quality healthcare, you'll get lower costs. And you'll get exactly what you want, but guess what? Along the way, you've got to have some personal responsibility in that as well. But this goes with not just healthcare, this goes with all areas of life. But see, that's too much trouble. That's too much work to take care of ourselves. I gotta to go to the gym every day. I've gotta eat right. Man, I've been eating chicken and broccoli for three months, right? I am so burned out on chicken and broccoli. Works great. The diet's awesome, right? Lost weight, cut body fat. It's an awesome diet, but man, I get tired of eating chicken and broccoli. So we don't want to do that because it's hard. It's so much easier just to have people give us stuff. And it's fine. Again, like I said, if that's what you want, that's fine. Just don't complain about the outcomes. You can't have it both ways. If you want free stuff, that's fine. Don't complain about the outcome. I've lived in other countries with socialized health care. There's two healthcare systems. Nobody ever tells you about this. Everybody tells you about how cheap healthcare is in other countries. There's two healthcare systems in every other country. Those for the people that are on the public system, which is really not very good healthcare at all. And then there's a private healthcare system that rich people pay for because that's where you get good healthcare. And if you can't get good healthcare there, where do rich people go? They come to the United States because they come right here to Houston. If you got heart surgery, brain surgery, this is the only place you want to be in Houston to have your surgery done because they're the best doctors. That's the best healthcare in the world, period, bar none, end of story. No matter what people tell you about how terrible healthcare is in the US, it's completely bogus. I've been there, I've lived there, I've used it and ask anybody there. That's why they come to the US. Even people from Canada who, who talk about how great their healthcare is in Canada, when they get have, have need to have brain surgery, where do they go? They have in Canada? Nope. Come to Houston because this is where healthcare is. Think about what you want, and this is the whole point about where we want to get to long-term. We're heading down a very dangerous path economically, but it is what it is for now, and until we as voters decide to change it, it's not going to change. 
We'll see you next time on the next edition of The Real Investment Show. Hopefully all of our equipment will be working next time. <laughs> and uh, be sure to get on our website. Um, our latest blog posts and up are up on the website as well as our candy coffee from this past weekend. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Sign up for The Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.